Thank you for listening to CG Life with Steve Quartz. It's my hope that today's message will help you find and live the extraordinary life Jesus gives. After listening to this podcast, I'd like to invite you to connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for more updates and resources. Amen. I've, uh, I've waited, um, I don't know, 16 years to hear what I just heard. I hope Roman can hear this. If not, you guys report. There he is. I've waited 16 years to hear what I've just heard, and that is, I don't know if you noticed it or not, but that is for the praise team voices to drop out and all the voices of the congregation to be strong. And uh, um, I want to say the word hearable. I'm not sure that's a, uh, that's a word. It's just not a common word. But for all the voices to be hearable. And uh, you just got a little glimpse of heaven, though there will be some Serbian mixed in there and a whole lot of other languages. Perhaps we'll speak one language in heaven or perhaps it won't matter. Perhaps it won't matter. I don't know, but we will be singing. And a wonderful, beautiful time. Thank you, thank you. Wow, I like this church. I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to uh, John chapter 14 this morning. John chapter 14. And we're making our way now to what scholars call the uh, farewell address of Jesus. And as we come to the, this farewell address, which is roughly uh, from 1331 to 1633, before Jesus gets into his uh, prayer, his high priestly prayer in John 17, in this discourse, uh, as we come to this discourse, I wanted to pause and remind you of, of something because I think it's very, very important if we're going to fully comprehend all that Jesus is saying and all that Jesus is teaching. The Bible is a book recording events that took place over a span of thousands of years. It's one unifying thread is this. It has God as its divine author. Every book of the Bible shows itself to be God's word. And the events recorded are there because God wanted those events recorded there. God has done many, many things, many, many things. But what he wanted us to know and what he wanted us to see, he's recorded for us in his word. And he recorded every event, every teaching with his people in mind. He recorded it so that they might have the instruction and we might have the instruction that we need. So Paul says, for example, in Romans 15, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction so that, this is important for today, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might live our lives having hope so that through the endurance that comes from the scriptures and through the encouragement that comes from or through the scriptures, we might live our lives here having hope. So the, every book of the Bible shows itself to be God's word and God's word has been given to us for our instruction so that we might endure and so that we might have encouragement ultimately and have hope 
The Bible also shows us that God has a unified plan for all of history. And his ultimate purpose, his plan for the fullness of time is, as Paul says in Ephesians 1, to unite all things in Christ, all things in heaven and on earth. God had this plan of his from the very start. He says through Isaiah in Isaiah 46, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring, watch this, declaring the end of all things at the beginning of all things declaring the end of all things from the beginning of all things and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Now the work of Christ on earth and especially his work on the cross and his resurrection uh, formed the climax of human history. It, this is the great turning point at which God accomplished the salvation he had planned all along. And so today for you and for me, as we're spending time in the word, as, as we're thinking about God's uh, unified plan for all of history, we look back at the climax, at the cross and the resurrection, but we also at the self same time look forward to the consummation of Christ's work that the Bible also describes and that we just sang about. One day Christ will come again and there will appear new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness will dwell. It'll be a completely different world from the world we live in now. So the story of the Bible is, is an overarching story of salvation. And whenever a person embraces that story, that story gives to their lives meaning and gives to their lives a unity and does that for all of their lives. The Bible finally shows us that within God's unified plan for history, he also has a plan and a place for each of his people. And so the Bible calls each one of God's people to own the story, yes, but also the Bible dignifies every one of God's people with a role in, in the further outworking of that story. And so it calls us to own the story but then the, the, the Bible calls us to own the fact that we have a part in that story. And the scripture calls on us then to, to live faithfully, to live uh, with fear of God and to live with obedience. And as we live out of a fear, a reverence of God, and as we live out of obedience and as we follow Christ, what we're doing is we're finding our way into that story of salvation, we're finding our way and we're making our, we're making our own contribution to that as God leads us. How exactly we will impact that story, none of us fully knows, but what we can know is that as we walk and live faithfully for Christ, we are helping to advance the cause of Christ and we are making a direct contribution to that overarching story that one day we'll find Jesus coming again and ruling and reigning. And, and ultimately, when we hear him say, if we hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant, what he will be saying is, you did very well with your faithfulness and with your reverence of me by the way you walked with me, by the way you followed my son, you made your contribution, the contribution I had for you to make to my great story of salvation. That's what we 
long for, and ultimately as followers of Jesus, that's what we live for. Now, why, you say, Pastor, why are you talking about all this when you said turn to John 14? That's such a very good question. One reason is because every time you open the Bible, you should understand those things about the Bible. If you're going to really understand it, you need to understand that overarching story. The one who has announced the end from the beginning and so on and so forth. But here's, here's what I want you to see today. As we come to the farewell discourse of Jesus, and, and as we make our way through the rest of the gospel of, of John, but particularly today, we have to remember these things because we're coming up on the climax of human history with the death and resurrection of Jesus. And what we find Jesus doing is preparing his disciples for his death, for his resurrection, and for his ascension. And that's why, as we've seen the last couple of weeks, he shows his disciples how they are to love in those opening verses of chapter 13 by washing each other's feet, serving each other humbly. And then he tells them how they are to live. But what is critical here is he's telling them how to live without him carrying forward their part in his father's plan. And he does this in this section from John 13, 31 to 1633 that scholars call his farewell address. And we come this morning to one of the most treasured portions of scripture, John 14, verses one through seven. You see, Jesus knows, and we should remember, that before these disciples will be able to own their own part in God's plan, they're going to need to know and trust that they will have a place with him in the end. Part of being able to endure, part of being able to finish well is knowing you have a place with him at the end. And this place and how they will get there is what Jesus focuses on here. And so after telling them, look in chapter 13, verse 33, little children, yet a little while I'm with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you where I am going, you cannot come. After telling them that and then raising deep concerns and, and then these questions, verse 36, where are you going? And verse 37, why can't I or why can't we go with you now? Jesus says these words. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And do you know the way to where I am going? And Thomas said to him, Lord, we, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him. From now on, you have seen him. Thomas, you know actually the way. 
Now, Father, as we come to this passage that is so familiar and uh, so full of comfort, so full of encouragement, so full of the uh, power to strengthen your people, we pray, Lord, that uh, you will grant to us the ability to see the secret inside of it, the secret of endurance, the secret to finishing well. Grant, Lord, that we might, but with the help of your word and your Holy Spirit, Father, come to a place of clarity and perhaps fresh rejoicing at all that you have provided for us in Christ and particularly in these words. Grant that it would be so, Father, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. So before these disciples are going to be able to own their part in God's plan, they need to know and they need to trust that they're going to have a place with him at the end. This is what Christ is working toward. This is what he is working to encourage. Hearing that Jesus is leaving and that they can't come with him, the disciples are more than just concerned. They are, the scripture says, 14.1, troubled. They are alarmed. Jesus has been clear with them. They are left with uncertainty. They're left with a lack of control over what is now about to happen. And you know this, I know this, wherever we're facing uncertainty and lack of control, what happens? Starts with a W. Worry, I knew you'd know it. There is trouble. So here are men who have given their hearts and their souls to Jesus. They've given up occupations and family and their way of life. They love him deeply and well because he has loved them so deeply. And now he says to them words that they don't want to hear. And so chapter 13 shows them to be understandably distraught. Trouble has come and so they're troubled. As verse 14 opens, Jesus acts immediately to help them. He gives them direction. He gives them comfort through a command, through a call. And taken together, they form a a kind of invitation to endure to endure and carry out their part in God's greater plan. And I want you to see each of them in turn. I want you to see how it is that you and I can face trouble and challenge and endure and be able to say on the final day with with the apostle Paul, I have fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Look first at verse one, part A. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. The very first secret here to to, uh, facing and enduring trouble is essentially this, to hear verse one as a command, particularly verse 1A. It comes in obeying verse 1a. Here Jesus says something to them that few expect. He implies something that still fewer of us want to hear. There's a very real sense in which for a believer being troubled, Jesus is saying, when he says, let not your hearts be troubled, Jesus is saying there is a very real sense in which for a believer being troubled by trouble is a choice we make. 
being troubled on the inside by trouble from the outside, that doesn't seem to be a choice. I'll grant you that. It seems automatic. And so many find it easy to give into trouble on the inside when it comes from the outside. Yet Jesus implies that it is not automatic, but it is a choice. So think with me carefully for a moment, first of all, and what Jesus says here in verse one. He says, don't let your heart be troubled. In the Greek, in the original language, the sense of the verb is very, very strong. It is stop. Stop letting your heart be troubled. The idea here is of stopping an action or activity that has already set itself up. It is to shut it down. And that activity in this case is trouble on the inside that comes from the outside. For the believers, it is hearing Jesus say, I'm leaving and you can't come with me. I'm leaving and you will not know where I am. That's their trouble. And so they're faced with this challenge of, 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 of uncertainty, uncertainty and of not knowing where he's going and how to get there. It is for them a control problem, if you will. The word for trouble here in verse one means a disturbance and agitation. It gives you the picture of a heart that is without rest, like water boiling on, in a pot. How many of you have ever woken up in the middle of the night with a boiling heart? A boiling heart, yes. Have you ever noticed that sometimes if you're, if you're in a pattern of a boiling heart, it's every 3 a.m. or something like that, have you ever noticed? I'm sure it has something to do with random eye movement and sleep, but what, what is in your heart when you finally do kind of come to, it starts coming out. Have you had that experience? It, it is, it is, it is a, I almost said it's a troubling experience. Yeah, it is indeed, it is indeed. That is exactly where the disciples are. But I want you to think with me carefully about what Jesus is implying. Be, because this is a command, it has powerful applica, uh, implications. By ordering the disciples to stop, Jesus is affirming that when trouble does come into their lives, they can prevent that trouble actually not from coming, but they can prevent that trouble from setting itself up in their hearts. They can actually choose to shut it down. There are three critical lessons we take from this command. And you say, okay, why, why is this important? It is important because God has a plan, a unified plan for all of history. It is to bring salvation to all who will believe. He has, if you are a believer, a place for you in that plan. And the only way you're going to be able to carry out your place in that plan is for you to be faithful even when trouble comes. That's why this is important. Three critical lessons. First, here it is. We can take just from this command. Trouble on the outside always forces a choice to be made on the inside. And this is something I wanna, I wanna just, uh, I wanna teach you, I wanna shepherd you just a little bit, but every time, every single time, there is trouble, something that it threatens to make your heart royal and boil, to, uh, to uh, upset and imbalance your life. Every single time, what I want you to see and what I want you to recognize is every one of those experiences comes with a, the need for a decision. It is not as if somehow that trouble can and should and will always take you over if you're in Christ. That is not the case, but there is a decision to be made. Every time I'm talking with someone in a tragedy, at the right time, at the right time, 
when they can hear me, not before. And sometimes there's a while before people can hear you when they've gone through a tragedy. So you have to be really, really careful. When there's been a tragedy in the, in the short term, almost immediately you want to listen more than you talk. You just want to have a ministry of presence. You just want to be there. Just want, you don't want to preach a sermon. You leave that to me. Leave the preaching to me. All right, you don't want to preach a sermon. And, and very often you don't, want, you don't want to speak, even truth that you know would apply because you want to wait until they're, they're, they've gotten to a place where they can hear it. But at just the right time, what I always try to do, and I try to do this with myself, and I'm counseling you to do the same, is that when you're facing a situation where there is uncertainty and, and you have a lack of knowledge and there's something perhaps threatening or endangering or challenging, our, our default position should always be that we see that as an invitation from God to trust him and we make the choice. And the way I love to phrase it is this, we make, and some of you have actually heard me say this to you over the years. And I hope I had the right moment when I did. But I will say to you, lean into Jesus. And my counsel will be to you, don't lean away from him. That's always the worst thing you can do in a crisis when the trouble comes, is don't lean away from him. Don't run away from him. Run to him. Lean into him. Go for him. Make that choice right from the very beginning even when you don't understand why it's come to you. You don't need to understand why it's come to you. What you need is Jesus. What you need is, is, is what he alone can deliver to you. That is where as you grow in your Christian life, you, you learn more and more to say, though I don't understand, I trust you. I'm going to rest in you. Trouble on the outside always forces a choice to be made on the inside. And the choice is between letting the situation outside come in and take up residence or keeping it out and focusing your heart on Christ. Now, I will say to you, just by a matter of practical application, here's what I experience in my own heart. And I know to practice this is that trouble tends to find its way through my, the back door of my heart. Have you ever experienced that? You say, I'm going to trust the Lord. And then it finds a window. It's like... Okay, it's a process of saying again and again and again, no, I'm trusting Christ. No, I will not be overwhelmed by that. He is, he, I, I, I'm going to rest in him. Secondly, whenever Jesus' disciples have, consistent, uh, have consistently agitated, disturbed hearts over uh, any matter, it is always evidence over time of a personal choice to be troubled and to be in bondage on the inside to circumstances when Jesus commands us to be free. If we have a persistent practice of being troubled and not finding freedom, now grant you it is a journey, we learn how to do it, but if you're just constantly troubled, constantly agitated by a situation, ultimately it means you've made that choice and that is ultimately on you, not on him. Thirdly, the third implication is that once trouble has set itself up in the heart, the decision as to whether it remains is still ours to make. And this is where the disciples are. And this is why Jesus tells them to stop, to choose to end it. Now, what does that mean for us? Well, these may be hard words, but let's, let's face them bravely. 
Believers, it means, first of all, do have more options than worry or confusion when trouble comes. And Jesus never asks us to control what we cannot control, namely our lives or our circumstances. Maybe I don't need to remind us of this, but the truth is that you and I never have life under control. We never have life under control. And so with a phone call, a person's entire life or circumstance can change forever. Jesus expects us to control what we can control, and that is our response to life's circumstances. And that is why he says what he says in John 14, 1. Do not let your heart be troubled. Stop. We can't choose the troubles we face, but we can always choose how we face them. Finally, because our hearts are within our protection, being Trouble by trouble is a choice for which we are alone responsible. And so when trouble comes, Jesus shows us that our best response is to start with the heart if we're going to, to know triumph, if we're going to endure in the face of the trouble that troubles us. Now, perhaps you're saying to yourself, all right, so who doesn't want to stop being troubled, but how, how is that done? Thankfully, You'll notice at the end of verse one through verse three, Jesus tells us what we need to do in the face of trouble and how we can do it in order to endure and fulfill our place in God's larger plan. He says in verses one B to three, you believe in God, believe also in me. And that leads us to a second step that that includes involving and receiving uh, God's invitation to endure and triumph. It comes by answering a call. He gives us a command at the beginning of verse one, but he issues a call at the end of verse one through verse three, and it is a call to trust. We stop trouble in our hearts and we begin to triumph over it in order to stay faithful and endure when we choose to exchange the fear that is so natural to us for a faith that is supernatural. If we were honest, even those who understand this secret often wait until the last possible moment to use it. And so even those who know better often wait till the last possible moment to say, I trust you. Notice first that this faith that Jesus refers to is an ongoing trust. In the original language, in the Greek, it reads, keep on believing in God Keep on believing in me. So verse one, part one is stop letting your hearts be troubled. The second portion is keep on believing in God. Keep on believing in me. Notice that this faith to which Jesus calls the disciples is is an ongoing faith, an ongoing trust, but it is also at the same time a deliberate choice to trust. It's a matter of placing complete confidence in the God they cannot see despite the trouble they can see. Notice that this faith is a twofold trust. It is a trust in God the Father and it is a trust in Jesus himself. Jesus says, you believe God, believe also in me. So this call is a a call to a twofold trust. We can find practical ways to exchange the fear that is natural when troubles come with a supernatural faith by taking uh, a certain number of steps. And let me unpack those for you. First, Jesus directs his disciples and us to return ultimately to the bedrock of our faith in verse 1b. When he says believe in God, he's saying essentially remember who your God is. 
I cannot tell you how important this is, nor can I tell you, I express fully how important it is to know who God is and what he is like before trouble comes. If you know who God is, just in, in, in the essence and what he is like before trouble comes, then you're going to be ready, then you're going to be able at that point to go back to the foundations of what you know to be true about God in terms of who God is and what he has done and what he's promised to do for those who are his. And so Jesus, in essence, counsels the disciples to recall uh, those basic facts about his father as the first means of overcoming fear. It's always necessary for believers to stop and check and affirm that their faith is in God alone and no one else and nothing else. I don't know about you, but whenever trouble has come into my life, almost immediately, what is exposed in me is a, is a faith or a trust that I've put somewhere other than in Christ. Have you noticed that? Almost immediately I've grown, I recognize that I've grown dependent upon something else, something less. I, I was able to have lunch with part of the team from the pregnancy network yesterday. And, and one of the things that Vesna said, and it kind of set me back, but it was such a good word. Uh, Judy was talking about the, being able to share financial gifts to strengthen because they have very little resources. And, and Vesna said something so curious to me and to us. She, well, actually to, to Judy and, and, and me in, her, in the hearing. But she turned to Judy and she said, please don't give us too much. It will ruin us. Please don't give us too much. It will ruin us. And you know what we Americans want to do go? We want to go, what? She said, because though we've not had much, we've learned radical dependence on God. We pray. We've learned how to pray. We've learned how to depend. And here's the reality. Can I say this in front of our Serbian guest? At the end of the day, living in the United States of America, we have so very much. I'm not sure we really know how to trust God until everything we have is not enough to overcome whatever it is we're facing. There's so much here. Believe in God. Trust in God. Jesus tells believers who are facing trouble, check your foundation. You believed you trusted in God before this trouble came. He was reliable then, he's reliable now. So keep trusting, keep believing. All the power this prescription has. Are you facing trouble? Jesus says, return to your foundation, to the God of Abraham, to the God of Isaac, to the God of Jacob. Return to the God who doesn't change. 
Your 401k goes up and it goes down. Your bank account goes up and it goes down. Your credit card bill goes up and it goes up. (laughs) But your God never changes. Circumstances change. God never changes. So friends, listen, it's as simple as this. And, and it's as simple as this. And don't take this lightly. That's why I pause, because I, I, I'm afraid you're going to take this lightly, and you can't. I mean, you can, but you shouldn't. If he loved you yesterday, you can be absolutely sure he still loves you today, even in the midst of your trouble. If he was faithful to you yesterday, he will be faithful to you today. If he had power for your yesterday, he will have power for your today and your tomorrow. And if you, if you can't remember, if you can't remember his love from yesterday, if you can't remember his faithfulness to you from yesterday, if you can't remember the power he had for you from yesterday, if you can't remember those things, then, then go to the cross. There is no clearer demonstration. There is no clearer declaration on the part of God of his love, of his faithfulness, and of his power to be found anywhere. The same God who sent his son to the cross to die for you is the very same God who stands with you and has committed himself to you even in the midst of your trouble. He does not, will not, can not change. And every now and then he deserves a round of applause, doesn't he? Because he is more than sufficient for any trouble you and I might face. A faith that rests on God brings security. It brings stability. It brings confidence in times of crisis. So there are three questions you can ask when trouble comes on the outside and you're struggling with it on the inside. And I'm going to leave you with these. If you're taking notes, write these down. If you're not taking notes... Just remember I preached on this. You're going to have to go find it online and listen to it. You'll be behind the curve, but that's okay. At least you know you'll have somewhere to go. Three three questions you can ask when trouble comes on the outside and you're struggling with it on the inside. Number one, what can God do? A very simple question. What can God do? If you want to build that out just a little bit, add this, the second part to it if you, if you want to. What can't he do? Listen, listen. If you can get clear on what he can do and what he can't do, you're going to be taking a step in the right direction. 
to being able to answer his command to stop letting your heart be troubled and to believe. What can God do and what can't he do? Remind yourself that the answer is that there is nothing that is impossible with God. The only thing that the scripture says God cannot do is lie. When trouble comes, nothing can keep God from helping you. He is omnipotent. He has all the power there is. But that leads us to a second question. So what can God do? What can't God do? But the second question is, what does God know and what does he not know? In Psalm 139, the psalmist says, where can I go from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I go down to the depths, you are there. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Friend, amid your trouble, God knows, is the message of the scripture. He knows the trouble you're facing. He knows the pain you're feeling. What is more, he knows what you need to know. And you and I don't need to know the answers to our troubles, which is what we typically go seeking for. All we know, need to know really. And it took me a while to learn this lesson, but once I learned it, it has been such a source of comfort. I don't need to know all the answers to my troubles, but I'll tell you what I do need to know. I, I, I need to know at the very least, I need to know that he knows the answers. And there are times and seasons and situations that will be so confusing that I feel overwhelmed because I don't know. I wanna say, where are you? And I wanna say, where are you going? And how do I get to you? And what's the answer? And what's the solution? And what's, the, what's, 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 what's going to make this right? And I can't get any answers, but there comes a place. And I think this is one of the sources of what the New Testament calls that peace that passes all, all understanding. I, what, what comes, that peace actually comes when finally I say, all right, I don't have to understand the answers. What I do need to understand is that you understand the answers. I don't have to have them. It is enough for me to know that you do. You do. And then finally, and one that will take us again to a familiar passage, and I think is important, is to ask, does God really love me? And is there any trouble that can keep me from experiencing his love? And of course, Paul says in Romans 8, there's nothing. Faith in the face of trouble means standing as Vance Havner, an old preacher from another generation, it means standing on the rock of God's omnipotence. Believing not only that he has the power to see me through this, but his love is active to engage his power. And it is at that point 
where I finally come to a place of being able to rest in him. I don't have all the answers. I can't see into the future. I know the pain is real. But to step back and know there is nothing he can't do, to remember that he knows all things and knows my situation and has an answer, and to be reminded of his great love for me, and to simply rest in those realities, to believe in God, is then, as you can see now, I trust the first step to a genuine endurance. It's not, I can make this. It's not, I can do this. It's God's got me. It looks like we got through one verse. Do you, do you think that we get through John by 2050? No. Well, at least we're practicing honesty here. As we close this morning, I want you to see with me and I want you to remember. God has for you a life to live that contributes to his greater plan. The only way you're going to consistently and persistently endure, because you will have trouble, the only way you're going to endure and the only way you, like the Apostle Paul, will be able to say, I fought the good fight. I finished my course, what God signed for me. I kept the faith. The only way we're going to be able to say that. And in the end, the only way we're going to be able to hear him say those words, those words, those words. Not just welcome home, which I'm looking forward to. Welcome home. But to hear those words, well done. Well done. I had a great overarching plan. And I pictured you in 2023 with three kids and a husband. I know, I know about him. Remember, I know all things. But I pictured you in 2023. I knew you were going to experience that pain. I knew you were going to experience that hardship. But I also know, and I knew, that it was through experiencing those kinds of things 
that you would learn to trust me, to love me, and to let me use you more and more. I love the way you leaned into me and you didn't lean away from me. You remembered who I was and what I was like. You were so faithful and you, you couldn't even see the impact you were having. But now let me, let me show you. Let me show you. Let me step back. Let me show you what I mean when I say, well done. Let me show you. Because you were faithful here. This happened there. This impact occurred over here. You couldn't see it, but your life was having an impact again and again and again because you simply would not lean away. You leaned in. Let me show you the difference your life made. And you're going to go, Lord, I, I hadn't... I had no, had no idea. He said, I know. Remember, I told you, if you would fear me, reverence me, and obey me, follow my son. Remember, I told you, I would take your life and I would use your life as part of my plan to bring me glory. Step back just for a minute and see the glory. See the glory. Lord God, how we thank you for your word. We receive it as your word. We acknowledge that every event recorded there was recorded for our instruction and our direction. And we, we acknowledge, Father, that you told us what you were about and we believe the day will come and we will see the end of all things and it will be as exactly as you said it would be. And Lord, in this moment, we are bowing and we are rejoicing in this extraordinary truth that you have a place for us, a role to play, a life to live, faithfulness to practice. We have a part in the biggest story. God, would you please help us trust you more and to see our very lives from the standpoint of eternity not from the standpoint of our latest problem use us Lord God so that one day we will hear those words so precious to the ears of every true believer well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. Pray and ask these things in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Would you stand all across the room? Thanks for joining me today. 
If you enjoy these podcasts, take a moment to rate and review CG Life with Steve Kortz. My prayer is that God will continue to inspire and challenge you in Christ as week by week we apply the gospel faith to real life.